Well, good morning and welcome again to St. Paul's. My name is Tyler. If we haven't met, I'm so glad to see you this morning. Before I begin, I invite you to pray with me. God, we know that you are already in this place. We pray now that you fill it, that your written word might be to us the living word, Jesus, and that we would see him face to face today. We ask it in his name. Amen. There's a term in journalism called burying the lead. It's when a writer takes a news story with, leads a news story with minor details rather than the main point. Like if you clicked on a headline and it was like, area woman has trouble sleeping. And you get halfway through the story and you discover her tossing and turning is because a factory exploded. It's like the insomnia is not the main issue here. The writer buried the lead. We're preaching our way through the early chapters of the Gospel of Luke, the story of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection as told by Luke, a physician and early follower of Jesus. And Luke's a gifted storyteller, but in our reading this morning, he kind of buries the lead because the main point doesn't come until the end. It's there in the next to last verse, Luke 4.43. I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. I was sent for this purpose. That's a heck of a lead. It's a breathtaking statement when you consider it. Whether or not you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, he's undeniably the most consequential person in human history. And if a news crew stopped you on the sidewalk to say, you know, what was Jesus about in your opinion? What would you say? What's his purpose? Well, here Jesus is giving it to us in one line, what he thinks. He was sent by his heavenly Father to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. That's his job description. And in the reading up to that point, we've seen him teach We've seen him exercise demons. We've seen him heal the sick. But here Jesus is telling us that all that stuff that he's doing, the teachings, the exorcisms, the healings, these are all just various aspects of that one job, which is his purpose to proclaim in word and miraculous deed the good news of the kingdom of God. I'm going to unpack the passage in a second. But before I do, I want to get real clear on this point. Because everything Jesus does, including the cross in which he dies, is about this, proclaiming the good news of God's kingdom. So what's the kingdom of God? That means the rule of the living God here on earth. That means the creator of the universe working among and amidst his creation. And the fact that Jesus is proclaiming this kingdom implies that it's not here yet when he shows up in Capernaum. Because you don't proclaim a reality, you don't announce a reality that's already here. I wouldn't come in here and tell you guys, hey, the sky's blue. But I'd tell you if there was a storm on the horizon. So if Jesus is announcing God's kingdom, the implication is to this point, we've been living under a different ruler altogether. We met him two weeks ago when we saw the Lord Jesus being tempted by Satan in the wilderness. Satan told Jesus that all the kingdoms of the world were his, that humanity and its faithlessness to God and its lovelessness toward each other had collectively given itself over to God's enemy, that we'd signed ourselves over to the devil without reading the fine print, that there was no escape clause. Humanity was living under the principality of the devil. That's collectively where we're at, metaphysically, spiritually, when God the Father sends Jesus the Son and the power of God the Holy Spirit for the purpose 
of declaring, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. And that's why the proclamation of the kingdom of God is good news. Because it turns out Satan's principality is a lousy place to live. The enemy of God hates us, hates God's creation, because he hates what God has made. He hates what God loves, and God loves you. So when Jesus says he's been sent for the purpose of proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God, he's saying he's been sent for nothing less than announcing the good news of a conquest by friendly forces. He's proclaiming the good news that the enemy, the the hated despot, the oppressor, has been routed because the true king has come. That's what Jesus is about. That's the lead that Luke buried near the end of our reading. Don't think that Jesus is messing about. This is an exorcism on a cosmic scale. And the good news of the kingdom of God is how we have to understand everything else that Jesus has done. So with that in mind, knowing that this is where we end up, we're going to roll back the tape on his day in Capernaum, Jesus' day at the office, so to speak, and we're going to see how everything he does, teaching, exorcism, and healing, serves the singular purpose of proclaiming that good news. All right, so what happens in the Luke passage we heard today? Well, one neat thing about it is it covers a day in the life of Jesus. Now, he's been preaching this point in the synagogues in the northern region of Israel, Galilee. And this week, we see that he's moved from his hometown in Nazareth, we heard about that last week, to Capernaum by the Inland Sea. So what's in a day's work for Jesus? Well, it's this, roughly 24 hours, starting on a Saturday morning when he's teaching in the synagogue, He goes all the way through that day, night, and into the following morning. That's the reading we heard from May. When the crowds finally hunt him down, he says, I got to go. I got to proclaim the good news to the other cities too. Now, I'm excited to announce a bit of groundbreaking biblical scholarship. We actually got a hold of Jesus' Outlook calendar for the day. And you can see here in the very software that our Lord used, uh, the basic arc of his schedule. In the morning, he's at the synagogue teaching. He uh, exercises an unclean spirit from a man there. Then he goes to the house of his friend and student, Simon, later called Peter, where he heals Simon's mother-in-law of a serious fever. And that evening when the Sabbath ends, that's when the action really starts because he's healing and exercising all night long, facing the screaming need of the collective human misery in this one city that he's visiting. And then finally in the morning, he escapes and he runs to a deserted place outside the city to pray. And they track him down even there. And it's there he says, no, I wasn't sent to be your in-house healer. I got to go. The point today is simply this, that the three things that Jesus does in this episode, teaching, exorcism, and healing, they're all manifestations of that one mission. They're all different ways of proclaiming the good news of God's kingdom. Proclaiming. In Jesus, we see a man who speaks a word of power, and it's all about that kingdom. When Jesus talks, he's casting Satan off the throne, and he does it three ways. First, with words that teach with authority. Second, with words that cast out evil. And third, with words that send illness running. We're going to look at those in turn. The first word of power is his teaching. Jesus goes to synagogues and he teaches with an authority people have never heard before. It's no surprise what's happening here because Jesus is God in flesh. He's teaching the words of the Holy Scriptures. He's, He's teaching words that he inspired the prophets to say centuries before he was actually born. He's teaching the true meaning of God's word, and he's setting the people free, turning the scriptures into food for the spiritual survival of God's people. 
This is life and death stuff. And the people are amazed. They've never heard anything like this before. They've gone to synagogue their whole lives. They sit in the same pews. They say the right prayers. They nod at the right times. They hold the right political opinions. But now it's Jesus. And it's not ink on parchment being recited. It's the living voice of the living God bouncing off their eardrums. And they're knocked on their backs. Because it's Jesus and it's God telling them who God is. It's Jesus and it's God telling them how they need to repent and turn from their sins. And it's Jesus and it's God telling them how they're loved, no matter who they are or what they've done. It's Jesus and it's God telling them that there is a way home. That there is freedom. That there can be peace. That there can be transformation. It's Jesus and he's proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. That's his first word of power. But the teaching is just the start. Turns out there's a guy in the synagogue with an unclean spirit. And this might freak you out to hear, like you're turning to your partner and saying, like, honey, we did not come to an Anglican church to hear about Satan and unclean spirits. Am I right? But here's the problem. You can't swing your arms in the gospel without hitting Satan or a demon. They're all over the place. And I made the decision a long time ago that I wasn't going to be smarter than Jesus. So if he talked to demons and sent them running, I guess i got to believe in him, no matter how I might conceive of that. So here we are. The answer for me is quite literally, but you guys <laughs> do what you wish. So here we are. There's a man in the synagogue, and he has an unclean spirit. It's not mental illness. He has a demon. The scripture doesn't tell us, but I'll tell you what I think is happening here. You know how if you have two magnets and you put the same poles together, they repel each other like you can't get them to touch? Is a great way to convince kids that you're a magician because the one magnet sends the other one running. I think that's what's going on with Jesus. I think that's why there's so many demons in the Gospels. Not because that world was so much worse than ours, but because Jesus was so good. And when he walked through, they came to the surface. Evil gets to stay hidden in our lives because a lot of the time we're doing what the devil wants. Anyway, so why bother showing himself? But Jesus is like this God magnet driving the unclean and wicked evil spirits to the surface. And we've all met people who make us uneasy, right? People who say, there's a, there's a darkness there. And I think the holiness of Jesus forced those spirits right up to the surface. Because the people didn't know who Jesus is, but the spirits did. And they named him as they came out screaming. And when they did, he rebuked them. He said, he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God to them. It's good news for us. It's extremely bad news for them. You oppressors, Jesus says. You torturers, you evildoers. Your authority is broken here. Be silent and be gone from this place. I cast you out in the name of the Most High God. And a man previously possessed, possessed, falls to the tiles of the synagogue floor free and unharmed. That's Jesus' second word of power. And finally, synagogue comes to an end. People are buzzing at coffee hour about what they've seen. But Jesus, he needs lunch. He's only human. So he goes to the nearby house of his friend Simon. And Simon's mother-in-law is really sick. She's got a fever. She can't give her guests the hospitality that's in the Jewish and the whole Mediterranean DNA. This is not a minor issue. Like, you do not welcome a visitor to your house in the ancient Mediterranean and not feed them. That's world-ending stuff. And Jesus talks to her fever. Are you messing with me, Luke? When my kids are sick, I take their temperature with a little yellow thermometer. It looks like a duck. I record it. I Google it because I still don't understand Celsius. I might, understand, I might say like, oh, honey, you're warm. Have some sherbet. But you know what I don't do? I don't talk to the fever. But Jesus does. 
Jesus rebukes it. Like you talk to somebody who disrespected your spouse or your friend. Like, step off, buddy, you were on thin ice. That's how Jesus talks to the fever. Jesus talks to the fever like he would talk to a drunk finance bro who spilled his drink on Jesus' friend at a bar. And the fever leaves. Are you kidding me? The fever leaves. And Simon's mother-in-law dusts herself off and says, I never, and pulls together some flatbread and salt and some olives and tea to give to her guest. That's the third word of Jesus' power. He rebukes illness. And he keeps doing this all night long, all night long, until daybreak. He's proclaiming, he's healing, he's exercising until there's no strength left in him, and he's got to run to the hills to pray because he's the son of God, so he's only human. Jesus proclaims the good news of the kingdom of God with three words of power, teaching, exorcism, and healing. And his word sends falsehood, evil, and illness, anything that is contrary to God, anything that is opposed to God, running for the hills. What's left is truth, freedom, and wholeness. What's left are lives transformed. Lives transformed, are the proclam- are, that's the good news of the kingdom of God. That's the real proclamation. And that good news didn't stop then. It's still here. That's what our rhythm of life is all about. It's about getting our lives in line with God's kingdom, finding that peace and purpose for ourselves. Make it real practical. On Wednesday, October the 18th, we've got a rhythm of life class coming up where you can help shape this for yourself. Come check it out. But ultimately, the kingdom of God isn't about any program that we can craft. God conquered the enemy with his son's blood on the cross. The victory is done. It is finished, and we are just living in the mopping up action to finish before the knee of sin and death finally bows before King Jesus. Jesus isn't here in the flesh, and that's why illness isn't sprinting out the back door. That's why demons aren't rising in our throats. We're but a pale shadow of the holiness that Jesus carried with him when he walked this earth. But Jesus' word in Scripture continues to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. Jesus is praying for us even now. And most important, the Holy Spirit that filled Jesus is here right now. Jesus speaks a word of power to proclaim the kingdom. He doesn't come to negotiate, but to proclaim. The hurricane doesn't ask if it can blow. The wave doesn't suggest that it might crest. But this word that sends demons and fevers screaming will not compel our hearts. And so at the last, there is a question posed to us, and it's simply this, yes or no, to the good news of God's kingdom for us and for our lives. The kingdom is here, yes or no. Now, I am just a guy, and my words are just words. But the Holy Spirit of God is speaking even now, and I'm asking you to turn your ears, the ears of your hearts, to God's voice, even if that sounds really weird, even if that makes you uncomfortable, even if you don't know what you're doing, even if it's a desperate leap of hope that this stuff might really be true in an uncomfortably literal way. Take that leap of faith. I'm going to pray now. And I'd like for you to pray with me, but you don't have to. You can just sit tight. But if you are going to pray with me, I'm asking you to say yes. You've got to say yes. Within the silence of your heart, that's okay. Or a whisper, or out loud. Will you pray with me? Let us pray.
Lord Jesus, we are your people gathered in your name, and we say yes and amen to your kingdom. We acknowledge your lordship over this place, and we offer it up to you as a people. We say yes and amen to the good news that you bring, to the good news of your reign, to the good news of lives that can be transformed, to the good news that falsehood and evil and illness have no final claim over us, to the good news that there is nothing in heaven or on earth, in life or in death, that can separate us from your love. And I ask that you send your spirit now on someone who needs it, that their heart might burn and they might know you and that together we would go from this place in your name. This place is yours. We are yours. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever.